SaaS Insiders, I welcome you to this episode of our show. The reason why this episode is special is today I'm talking to Sami Abu Zarifa and in about a minute from now, you'll hear the episode where we cover the tactics and the mastery of finding and refining the problem that we're solving with SaaS products for our users and how that defines the profitability and the success of the business. Check out this small clip to get a taste of it. You have to find pain big enough for people to act, okay, this is 10 euros a month, I'm going to pay for that, you know? Now ChatGPT came and people cannot live with it. It's like, okay, use it for free. And now it's, it's crazy because you can do so much stuff with it. And now people are paying money for it. Why? Because it fixes so much, so much pain, to be honest. So this is, I don't know, it's a stupid example, but... You'll hear much more on Sami's SaaS journey and his lesson learned right after this 20-second intro. This episode is sponsored by the SaaS Insiders Studio. We help SaaS founders build their minimum viable products, MVPs, launch quickly, find a product market fit, and grow from there. SaaS Insider Studio works with non-technical founders that are on the pre-seed or seed stage to help them execute on their product vision. To learn more, go to my LinkedIn profile that you can find in the description to this episode and shoot me a direct message there. All right, let's jump straight into today's episode. SaaS Insiders, I welcome you to this episode of our show. Today with me, I have Sami Abu Zarifa, and he's the founder of Clue. Today, we're going to talk about his journey, how he got from his idea to the product on the market, talking about some learning experiences. It's not his first startup, so he will be sharing some value to you, SaaS founders, on what are the things that he would personally be doing differently and some of the advice for you if you're only starting with your MVP journey. With that said, Sami, I welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, Vlad, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. For those who might not know you yet, if you could give one or two-minute introduction on who the Sami is, where you're coming from, what you're currently working on right now. Yeah, sounds good. I can I can do that. So my name is Sami. Uh, I'm actually based in Finland. I can give you, I, I mean, I like cheese. I don't like mayonnaise. You know, I like, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, now we have a company called Clue. It's my third startup. It's a, it's a tech startup uh, based in Helsinki. And we are actually in early stage right now. And we just launched our public beta. And uh, yeah, I mean, the first company that I did was called Zai Student. It's a gaming company. And second one was called Tira. It's a productivity tool. And uh, we had to pivot and actually make it open source because it's there's so much competition. And then eventually we had to pivot to a new company, which is called Clue, which is this, this one we have right now. So yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Talking about Clue, we talked about this off the air for a second, but if I understood this correctly, you've passed through the pre-seed stage and you're currently about to start working on your seed round. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Okay. So that, what that means is you already have the MVP on the market you and you already got, got some traction. A lot of times when founders start their SaaS journey, SaaS insiders start their SaaS journey, they have this fear of, bring their MVP to the market. It comes with a lot of problems like, oh, I don't want to ship a crappy product or, oh, I'm not sure people will love this. Maybe I need to develop it for a couple more years before I show it to someone. For, from your journey, I would be curious to know, how did you go about, we have this idea, 
and going into the MVP, going to the market. How did this process go? How did you go about building a first version and launching out there? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, for Clue, it was a very interesting story. We were actually part of this accelerator and it's called Antler. And uh, I would say the last few weeks of the accelerator, we were supposed to actually pitch an idea and we couldn't have, we couldn't find one. And Clue actually came of pain. So my co-founders and me were discussing some ideas and some problems to solve. And the idea of having so many like companies and teams and, and, and users in general, they have so much tools to use. They use Google Drive and use a lot of different iCloud services. They use uh, Slack, Notion, Trello, so many different apps. And there's so much knowledge that is lost in terms of files or data or messages and so on. So we're thinking, what if we create some sort of digital brain? And if I ask you right now, do you remember what you did you had for lunch last year? You wouldn't remember. But if you have a digital brain that can actually fetch anything that you actually have from all these tools, just like instantly in seconds, that'd be awesome. And the PDF can be a specific name in a, in a task in Notion, for example. So this is the main problem we recognize. And we're like, wow, we create like some sort of search engine like Google that can actually fetch information. So this is how the idea came to exist. And then we were like, okay, that's that's a very big problem. And if we manage to fix it somehow, some extent would be awesome. And we had two weeks to actually pitch to the to the investment uh, committee. And guys, we said we said if we have to get an MVB, and the 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 actual investment committee, you don't expect an MVB from us. They just expect us to actually have a pitch deck. Like that's it, maximum. But we were thinking like if we manage to get an MVB, like a small MVB to show them the potential of this uh, product, we will actually get funded hopefully. We did that. In two weeks, we actually finished to build an MVB, which is like a record. It's like a movie kind of thing. And yeah, we, we did that. And we bitched to them. They're like, holy shit, that's, that's actually awesome. And they, they loved how we actually visualized the problem and we actually and the way we're trying to fix it. They, they liked that. And they liked the velocity of building something very quick. So the, And we actually get funded. Like uh, I would say they give us the yes after like almost a few days after, only after we pitched the idea. So this is how actually Clue came to exist. And mm -hmm. I think, I think honestly, like... Uh, a lot of founders make the mistake of actually coming up with ideas and then they try to find a problem to fix. No, you know, basically that's, 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 that's one of the biggest problems founders actually face. You, do, you shouldn't say, oh, I have a great idea. No, you should say I have a great problem. You know? So you basically find a problem and then you walk backwards. You find a solution to it. And this is how it goes. Find problems, don't find ideas. If you find a problem, a very good problem to fix, you will find a solution. You will find a way to fix it, 100%. You know? So this is something I've, I, I made previous experiences. I used to think like that, to be honest. And now it's like completely opposite. I always think about problems. Even if we want to add a feature to the product, we don't think, oh, I think it's a good feature. I think that there's a good problem. There's a lot of pain here. And I want to come up, come up with a feature to fix this pain. That's how I think now. And this is the mentality you should have as a founder. Now, there are a couple of important things here, Sas and Cyrus, I wanted to pick up. One of them is think not I have a great idea, think I have a great problem to solve because that's that's the way you can reverse engineer to, to, to the actual solution. Uh, now that's very important that you said it here. Uh, one thing that you mentioned, and it, it's kind of mind blowing for most people that hear this, that MVP can be done in two weeks. For a lot of people, they think that there's this huge, huge process you need to go through. Uh, how did you manage to get the MVP in two, in two weeks? What was the thinking process? Like, were you the one working on the MVP? Did you, did you involve someone else? Like, how did, it, how did it happen? I remember actually the first day we come up with the idea. I think it was nine o'clock in the morning. We started actually having this meeting. We had this meeting room booked for the whole day. I remember from 9 a.m. until I think 7 p.m., literally nonstop. We had breaks, some lunch, toilet breaks, until we actually concluded the whole idea. 
And then once we conclude the idea, the tech guys, which is my other two co-founders, they have a technical background. And I, I, it happened to be lucky that these guys are actually very, very experienced uh, full-stack developers. They're really good at what they're doing. And the second we actually understood the problem and what we're going to do, how to fix it, we're, okay, the guy like, okay, two weeks. Okay, well, most likely we're not going to have so much sleep. And, uh, you know, we're going to be working very hard, but we can do it. And the guys, when you very, when you have a very good technical co-founder, an experienced one, he knows exactly what kind of stack they have to use to actually do something in two weeks. So basically, they just did it. Like, they worked very hard to do it. And the goal was to actually impress the VC, that we, we can build something very quickly and actually impress them. And that's the main goal, and that's why we did it. I mean, if you actually know what you're doing, you can actually do that. It's very doable, to be honest. It's not concrete MVP, but it's something you can actually show. Okay. What do you think, Sammy, people should do if they're just like you, a non-technical founder? I assume you're not technical yourself, right? You don't I mean, have an engineering background. I mean, I, I actually had to learn a bit of technical uh, stuff to actually discuss with my, my co-founders. Oh, yeah. But no, I'm not a developer. I am not an engineer, like okay. per se. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be specific. You're not a software engineer. Yeah. I'm not so a software for those engineer. People, for those people who are not lucky enough to be software engineers when they find the opportunity and they don't have technical co-founders, let's say, what do you think they should do about building their products, building their MVPs? Uh, I think if you want to actually build an MVP, if you don't have an engineer with you, there's a lot of uh, uh, no-code tools right now. And they're actually getting better and better. So hmm. no code tools are actually very good. And well, I won't say very good, but they're good enough for MVP to actually show to the investors, to, to, to visualize your idea or problem to the investors or to their customers. But eventually I would advise to actually find an engineer. Like it's, this is the, like really important. Like people are like, oh, like I, I, I cannot find anyone. There's a lot of events you can actually go to, to network and find people. There's so much uh, matchmaking tool, like a uh, software right now, like a, uh, why combinator match matchmaking tool for like founders? So you can you have to make an effort. I think finding a good engineer or a good co-founder, like an engineer co-founder, is important as actually having a good problem to solve. It's 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 crucial. So you think, oh, I have a good idea, I have a good problem to fix. That's awesome. But also what's awesome and it's important to have a very good partner. That's to me, this is the most important part, to be honest. You can have very good, you can be very good, but you need help. Everyone needs help. It should be a priority for you. If you're a founder, you need to find an engineer. And people say like it's hard, it's very hard. But it's very doable, to be honest. Okay, okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you have any pointers on what kind of things people need to look for in their new founder or maybe some kind of fractional CTO when they hire them? What are the things that you would personally appreciate in a person like this? Uh, to be honest, you have to have you have to have similar values, you know, in terms of the way you work, ethics, you know, you have to have similar interests. Uh, vision must be shared. If you don't have that, you're gonna have troubles in the future. If one day in the company in the future you come up with a, you have to make a decision that uh, maybe it's a moral decision. And if you other co-founder doesn't share the same vision as you, he will like you know we can actually avoid tax or maybe we can actually fire someone. That's not good. You know like you have to have someone with shared values because you're gonna fight a lot. And if you don't have the most important core values together like shared, you're gonna have so much trouble in the future. You might not see it now because at the beginning you're exciting, excited, you want to build something. But once you grow, man, it's, it's, it gets messy, to be honest. So find someone who have the same values as you. I think this is the most important part. And someone mm -hmm. who actually resilient. Doesn't just, doesn't just give up in the in the first trouble. Oh, there's no VC. There's no customers. Oh, that's it. I'm, I'm walking away. You need someone who actually stick around, to be honest. And someone, it's not easy, but this is something I learned the hard way, to be honest. So that's what I would actually, that's what I would aim for. 
Mm-hmm. Speaking of giving up, I think we talked really briefly of the air on this, but you said like there is a, there is a common pattern for startups, like why most of them fail yes. when they face struggles, when they face challenges. Could you explain a bit more about like what you saw in, in a SaaS scene? What do you think are the main reasons why people don't succeed with, with their businesses? I think in a in a personal level, product product wise or company wise, I think you were a founder. I mean, if you choose to be a founder or entrepreneur, you choose to be. You have to be resilient. You know, you cannot just give up. In, I mean, that's if everyone can do it, then then you'll be. You'll find so many people doing it, but not all of you will do it because it's hard. It is not meant to be easy. You're not taking the easy way. But the, the results or the outcome or the reward is very high if you actually succeed. So yeah, there is a risk, but this is giving. This is default. By default, yeah, there is a risk. And honestly, I think being resilient, not giving up easy. A lot of people give up when they find, I'm from, oh, there's no customers. I cannot find VCs to fund me. Well, maybe something wrong with your company or business. So you have to be objective as a founder. Maybe something is wrong. Not, to, not Maybe I have to change something. So pivot. Don't give up. I would say, always say pivot. Don't give up. Just find something else, pivot, fix it, pivot, pivot, iterate. And eventually when you pivot, I promise you will find your market. You will find your customers. You will find someone who actually believes in your product. But people, oh, like I'm stubborn. I like my idea. It's awesome. And if no one likes it, I'm going to give up. It doesn't work like that. I, I had to pivot like five times before, literally. You know, and I was broke. I have no idea. Like I put all my savings on that. But because I truly believe that I actually can make it. And if you yourself cannot believe that you can make it, how do you expect other people to believe in you or your product? So you truly have to believe in yourself. And once you do, things become much easier with them. I promise you that. That's interesting. That's interesting when you say you had to build five times. A lot of times I see founders almost like micro giving up in a way that uh, they try something really quick. It doesn't work. They pivot like in a week. Uh, they try something again. It doesn't work for a week and they pivot again. So it's almost kind of trying finding the, the easy way and almost almost changing direction. What do you think? Uh-huh. What do you think is the is the edge of like sanity in terms of like healthy pivoting and just, you know, just shiny object syndrome, trying new stuff every week. Like, do you think they need some kind of guidance, maybe some kind of community? How would the person navigate, do like the sanity check to make sure that they're not, they're not the only ones thinking that it has to pivot? Well, I mean, when you find a problem to actually fix, you actually have to talk to people, talk to potential customers. So what do you guys think about my idea? Would you pay money for it? Is the pain big enough for you to actually spend monthly on it or like yearly or like daily? So you have to ask these questions a lot. And I think when you pivot, when you have to pivot, you shouldn't pivot in a week. I mean, it took us like months and months to pivot. I mean, I, I, I think in the span of three years, we pivoted five times, not like five times in a week. So of course, you should take time. You should actually do a lot of, uh, how to say, like a research, talk to people, talk to customers. And then eventually when you think that, okay, that's it. I talked to 100 people, 99, they're not going to, or 90 people are not going to actually pay for it. Okay, well, something's wrong with my product, obviously. So I have to pivot. I have to, to accommodate to their needs and wants. That's how it should work. So I think, I, I know it's a cliche. People say, listen to customers, but it's true. I mean, these are the people who are actually going to pay for your money. And if you don't put them first, if you don't listen to them, how are you going to, you have to, you're building basically something for them. So you have to make sure that they actually, you're building something that they actually want or need. And it's painful for them. I, I, I use, man, like, I know it's it's very cliche. It's, 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 people say that all the time, but it's true. Like, really, if you think about it, you have to find pain big enough for people to act, okay, this is 10 euros a month. I'm going to pay for that. You know, now ChatGPT came and people cannot live with it. It's like, okay, use it for free. And now 
it's it's crazy because you can do so much stuff with it and now people are paying money for it why because it fixes so much so much pain to be honest so this is i don't know it's a stupid example but uh, our, our our fellows from white combinator love to say find people with burning hair and what they mean is find people that have such a great problem they would be willing to try your tool if it's not a perfect fit and they were giving the example of ideally you would have a bucket of water for them but even if you have a brick, they would still kind of try to use it to put like the fire of their hair because it's the only option they have. So you need to find people with like the burning problem. They basically have no choice. They, they almost like have to, they're open to these solutions because the problem is so great. So I think exactly. it's like the goal is finding this problem that people just cannot solve on their own. You know, it's kind of funny, actually. This is actually a great analogy. Like, if you, even if you find a problem and you build a solution, but the solution is not actually ideal, it's not the best solution in the market, but people are still buying. They, they might be complaining about your product, but they're still paying. Even if they're complaining, that's good. Because if somebody's complaining about your product and you're still using it, that's awesome. It means you have really good product. It means they actually need you. So you just have to actually make it better. You're complaining about your product and still paying for it, that's actually a compliment, if you think about it. You know, A lot of people have this belief that negative feedback is bad. Uh, I believe it's good because it means that people really care about it. They hate some things about it and they really want it to change so that they can love it. Uh, it means like they care, basically. So I personally think one of the most valuable feedbacks is negative feedback from people that are paying customers of yours. So it means that they are the true validated problem they have and they, they want your product to succeed. So they, they really care about it. So I, I find this to be a really helpful feedback. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. I think I, at least if someone actually paid for your product and they still give you feedback, I mean, you want to keep these people using the product and the best way to make them retain or stay in the, in the, using your product is to actually listen to them. And it doesn't matter. Like, uh, it doesn't matter what they say. It's bad or good. You always have to listen to them. And iterate based on that. Negative feedback is always good. There's no such thing as a bad feedback, to be honest. You know? So listen very, very closely. Show them that you actually care. You know? And sometimes you actually might not implement this feedback, but tell them that it's something maybe in the pipeline or maybe you're working with it or you're still getting feedback. But feedback is always good. I mean, if you're building something for them, then might as well listen to them, right? If, I'm, if I told you that, oh, I'm making this food, uh, I should ask you, do you like pasta or are you, are you, are you like allergic or something? I have to ask you that, right? So this is how it works, you know? Sami, to, to circle back a little bit to, to Clue, the company and wh where it's currently at, so we went through the pre-seed stage, we build, we build a product to the market. Now that you're going into seed round, what do you think you'll be doing differently this time when it comes to fundraising? Because you shared your pretty inspiring story of, you know, assembling stuff on, on your knees, like in two weeks and showing this, this kind of like, look, this is the invention, right? Like, yeah. uh, what do you think will be different this time? How would you approach the, your presentation, your pitch? What do you think you'll be doing that you didn't do at the pre-seed stage? I think the pre stage was actually, to be honest, it was uh, it was pretty good. I would say, in my opinion, we had we had great feedback from the committee regarding the pitch tech and the problem we're fixing and so on and so on. But I think, of course, pre seed and seed is different, kind of. I mean, now in the seed round, we actually have a different milestones. We actually have to get paying customers, you know. But the most important thing is that we need to show to the investors and VCs that we actually the pain is real. There's so much pain here. And the product is scalable. It can, it can go big. If it's not scalable, this is a problem. It must, you must show that you have a scalable product and you have paying customers. I think the, 
biggest and the best validation for any product is paying customers. Don't tell me otherwise, to be honest. If this is the biggest validation, if, if you have a product and someone is paying for it, that's a good validation. That you're, you're good, you're awesome, you're set. So now this is the milestone we're doing. We have already paying customers, but we have a specific number to reach to actually impress the feces uh, in two months, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, in two months, okay. Yeah, okay. So we have like a, really close. yeah, we have like this demo day, which is we have to pitch to investors in a network of our previous investors where they, they arrange this demo day. We have to pitch to investors for the seed round and we're getting ready for it actually. So pretty close, yeah. That's really cool. A lot of times when people don't have uh, access to investors or they don't have them in a the network, they need to go through a lot of trouble to get attention. So uh, some people share anywhere from 500 to 1,000 meetings is what it takes to get, to get a round uh, closed for, for most of the people. What was the experience of networking with investors and actually pitching them for you? Like how many times you had to do those kind of presentations? I think from the first startup, when I started like the first venture until now, I think I had more than, I'm not kidding about this, like more than 500 meetings, I think. And I, I would say the success rate was like 1%, you know, it's like, it's very, it's, it's hard because again, I was very young. I didn't have experience. I didn't know exactly what I want or what I need, what I'm building. You know, you're just, but, but now of course I have a better, better idea. I think, I think you need to sell again. You don't sell the idea, sell the problem to the investors. And number two, show them that you can actually fix this problem because he's going to give you money basically. Like literally, I'm take my, it's not like borrowing your money, he's giving you money. He's believing it. He's not, if you have a good problem and you have a very good team to build it, that's, they're giving the money to the team. And if the team is not good enough to handle building this product or fixing this product, of course they're not gonna. So you have to show them that you're confident, you know what you're doing, right? So this is very, very crucial. I think a lot of founders think they might show it, but trust me, VCs know if you're actually good or not. You might actually show that you're good, but you're not good. They will know. So you have to actually, these people are giving you the money. So they're gonna do so much due diligence. You know, mm. so again, be prepared for that. Show them that you, even if you don't have that much, much experience, at least show that you're willing to go to distance. Show that you actually care. Show that you're passionate about it. You know, that you're not willing to give up. Show that you have integrity and values. You care about these things, actually. And I think joining accelerators helps. I, I did a lot of different accelerators. I think it's important. They, they get you there to the investors. They mentor you. They help you. Which is very very crucial. A lot of a lot of founders think like, oh, it's a, it takes time, six weeks or nine weeks. It's worth it. I mean, in my in my case, it was very worth it. I think I know all almost all the founders that I know. All of them like they they wish they had been into accelerators before. So I think you should if you should something you should consider, hundred percent. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I was just about to say that probably now that you have a bit of a track record with SaaS startups. It probably helps with meetings, with investors, with credibility. Um, and I was, I was just about to ask, what would you do if you were just getting started, but you were actually pointing some of the really crucial things? So I just wanted to go through them one more time to make sure the SaaS insider is actually getting this, because this is really important. Uh, one is obviously uh, the problem. Focus on the problem, not the solution. Uh, but you also mentioned about uh, the founder market fit. You explained that you, you need to be qualified. You would need to basically prove them that you know how to solve it better than anyone else would. They would meet to solve the particular problem. And um, I heard that one of the greatest ways to do that is to tell your personal story. And there has to be some personal connection to the problem, meaning something you went through or the people that you care went through. And you know that when the shit hits the fan, they know when the shit hits the fan, you're not going to give up because it's just money game. 
they know that you really care about it. So I heard like you need to almost like tell a story of how you found the problem and why this is meaningful for you. I wanted to know what's, what are your thoughts about showing that product market fit is there to investors? I think, well, I mean, first of all, I started actually telling a story. It's true, you're right. You have to tell a story. That, and then I think we, what we did is that we actually related and we start, as we start understanding if this VC actually having this problem, because in that case, the VC actually have this pain that we're trying to fix. So I start, start telling the story for them to relate. I was like, okay, well, in my case, in Clue, which is uh, it's a software tool that actually integrates with your apps, so you can actually search through them. I start asking questions to them. Like, for example, this VC, X, X, Y, Z, they have, they, they have this pain and they're using this tool. And this is how, our, and they, they literally were like, yes, I have that. The VC was actually saying that. Yeah, I have, it's so annoying for me. I was like, well, that's it. I, I literally, because I knew that, so I did my research, right? Like trying, tr letting them try to feel or relate to the problem, it's the best thing ever. Because they will, that's, this is the one you're pitching to. If you convince them that you, they actually know the problem, then you're set. Solution comes later. You can iterate, you can fix, you can do whatever you want later on. But if you sold, sell the problem to them really good, I, I think that's what we did, honestly. And it was, it was awesome. So, and then, then of course, second thing, I showed them that how we are going to fix it. So there is a bit of competition, but then I showed how we are different. And again, it's okay to have competition. This is a good validation for your product. That actually it's working, right? Mm. So for you to come is actually building something better, basically. You know, people think innovation, it means innovation like bringing something out of nothing. No, innovation can be something already exists, but you do it better. Innovation can be uh, two things already exist and you put them together in a different, better way. That's also innovation. So that's what we did, you know? And we sold that to them. And they're like, well, that's, that's, that's good enough. So this is my thoughts, I would say, more or less. There's a pretty big distinction between innovation and inventions, right? We're not inventing exactly. software here. We're exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Couple things here. One word that you just loosely dropped, but I think it's underrated, is research. It says, like, just research people you talk to. And it... I think the biggest problem is because it sounds basic, people don't pay attention to it. Well, yeah, yeah, I know I need to do my research, it's fine. But they rarely do. Right. Meaning when you are going to investor meeting, like look them up, what are they about? You know, what is their problem? How can you relate to them? A lot of times people are coming in having no idea who they're about to talk to. So it, they just have no leverage in the conversation. They have, they have no reference points. They cannot relate to those people. And I think those are like really rookie mistakes that most people, unfortunately, have to learn by their own experience from, from what I saw. It's true. I mean, always do your homework. I mean, this is basically what I did. I literally started asking all the people who work in that, in, in that VC, how oh, do you have this tool? Do you have this problem? And I was literally talking to a lot of them that time. And I got so much, so much input, so much insights and basically built my pitch take based on these insights. So I made them, I wanted them to actually feel the pain. And they did. And it worked perfectly. So always do your homework, 100%. Never miss it, really, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I couldn't agree more. One question that I have is, we, we all learn from, from our experiences, of course, but hopefully from other people's experiences. And a lot of times that comes in the form of you know, reading a book or listening to inspirational speakers or to your mentors, to your community. If you were to highlight maybe two to three resources that, helped you tremendously over the past couple of years. Maybe it's some, some particular books that you find inspirational or truly hands-on helpful. Maybe some particular people 
speakers, if you could name two or three, th two or three things or people to mention, what those would be? Well, I mean, I mean, you have to, I mean, it depends. If you're a founder, you have to have this business mindset, you know? So I think, I think one book that I like is Think and Grow Rich. That's a good book that I like. Another book is, of course, everyone knows that, you know, the uh, Rich Daddy, Poor Daddy, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> you know this book? I'm not sure if you know it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, the Lean Startup, you have to, you have to read the Lean Startup. This is something like by default, if you're a founder, you have to, you have to read this book. The Lean Startup, it's, it's book you have to, it's for Eric Ries, so you have to, you have to read it. But between all that, I, I listen a lot, to be honest, to podcasts from my combinator. I think they have so much knowledge there, so much advice, so much feedback. Uh, there is a, one of my favorite is a video in YouTube for my combinator. It's called the, the Art of Bivit. It's literally, this is the title, The Art of Bivit. And this is like highly recommended. I, I recommend every founder to actually, if you want to be a founder, if you want to build something, you have to listen to this 100%. One of my favorite quotes from Eric Ries uh, from Lumi Startup is, if you're 100% satisfied with your product, with your MVP, chances are it's already late. You should have shipped <laughs> that early. Like if, if, it, if it's perfect in your understanding, like it's it's late. You should have shipped that a couple of months ago. I, I know. That's why we actually had a, an MVP, for example, for us. It was like really so much bugs. What do you push it? What do you guys think? Test it, you know? And we get, and, and the feedback we got, it makes us give this awesome new version. So when you give a product an MVP, even it's shitty, it's, it's so many bugs, that's fine you're gonna get so much feedback from the entity we had right now to the version we have right now it's like i would say completely different in terms of ui ux functions features who are targeting because that's we build it up we're building product for the customer who just give it to them what do you guys think it's for free try it give us feedback and people just start giving us feedback and then we build a new version to them oh i like that much better that's that's what we did you know so ship fast don't wait for it to be perfect ship now, for the next question, I think I think you have a, a lot. We'll have a lot to say. Uh, but from what I see from you, is you come as more like energetic, positive person. I assume if I were to a co-founder with you, when when you know the problems come, we, we're trying to solve them, we're trying to push through them. We're not like panicking and just closing everything down. But if you were to go and travel back in time, maybe in the beginning of Clue, or maybe even like your previous ventures. If you had to give advice to a younger self, let's say, if there basically what I'm saying is if you had, if you know something you could do differently from what you did in your previous ventures in your clue, just one or two things, what would those be like the most important things? Maybe about you understanding some concept, maybe just doing some small thing here and there. What do you think are like the biggest learning experiences that, that you think you would, you would do differently? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, well, first of all, I sound energetic because I had three cups of coffee. So a little bit, you know, edgy, but uh, I faced almost all the problems that founders actually face. I, I took all of them. I always took the bad choices, the bad decisions, the wrong turns. But again, these things are good because now you know what not to do. So when you build a new company, you exactly know what you're not to do. It's okay if I have those new, like future mistakes, but most of the bad mistakes I actually can avoid right now. So the biggest ones I would say, again, I was thinking about idea, I mean, had the idea mentality, oh, come up with a good idea. I, I was thinking like that. But then you come up with an idea, but there's no market for it. There's no, no, no people to pay for it. So this is something, that, again, this is, I cannot emphasize enough on this. I used to think of, a, I used to be the idea guy, not be the problem guy. All, all about the problem. That's, that's one important, crucial part. So number one, number two, don't be an arrogant. Try to listen to people. 
I used to be like, no, I know stuff. I don't know. I don't know anything. You know, listen to people. Ask for advice. Uh, seek mentorship. Go for accelerate. Try to network and listen to feedback. This is how you become better. You know, this is how you actually grow. You know, and uh, as a person, as a business guy as well. So always try to take an advice. There's no such thing as a bad advice. Listen, in terms of uh, business. Number three, talk to you, to the users or the potential users as much as you can. As much as you can. I cannot emphasize. If you're building something for someone, then you need to talk to them. What do you? What is your ideal features? How much money will you willing to pay for that? Uh, uh, and, and so on and so on and so on. So these are. And once you have these three things, you will have a good product. It's 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 by default. You will have a good product, hundred percent. And don't build something and there's no market for it. So you need to research the market. Make sure the market is big enough, because if you want to scale, you have to know that the market is big enough for you to actually grow. If not, then you're gonna reach a mid benchmark of two three years and then fall so no make sure the market is big enough and mm -hmm. the problem is big enough don't take like a small product a lot of people actually have a small problem and they build a product that can be a feature you know no don't don't build a feature in a product build an actually but i don't compete with features don't like oh i have a great features no say i have a good product you know that's i think things that i i i wish i knew but i didn't but now i know so one thing that you've mentioned here that is important is having the big enough addressable market and like actually making the research. What do you think at the basics, where can people get started on maybe learning how to do the proper market research? Well, honestly, I mean, now if you want to do, okay, let's say you want to make a restaurant. It's, it's a, I don't want to say tech company because if you want to build a tech software, everything online, to be honest, you can sell research about the market potential and so on and so on. And, uh, but if you're building, if you're building a restaurant right now, you cannot just build it like this. If you wanna, you have to know the the demographics of who you're targeting, right? Are you targeting uh, everyone? Uh, are, are vegans included? You know, is it gonna be in a specific? Uh, I don't know. Maybe like, is it Mexican food? And maybe people don't even know what is Mexican food. So you have to do the research. You have to actually go there and talk to people. And uh, so, so I would say, make an effort. You know, there's no such thing as I don't know. There's not enough. Data, there is data. Just make an effort to actually gather this data. But again, everything is online now. You can just do the research. What do you think would be the main, the main conclusion that the listener has to make out of our podcast episode? So let's say if they, if they didn't take anything from it but this one big thought, one big idea that they had from our show, before we wrap up our conversation, I really want to know what do you think is like the, the most important thing that people need to, to remember from, from our talk today? I think find a problem that you're passionate about, try to solve it. I don't say I, I don't solve it, try to solve it at least. Uh, I mean, life is very, very short. It's, it's like a blink of an eye. Uh, if you cannot take risk in life, when are you going to take risk? You know, that's how I see it. I mean, 50 years or 100 years from now, most likely all of us are going to die. So it's, it's, it's how I think about it. So it's okay. Try to do something impactful to people. Don't be scared. Life is, is, is beautiful and scary and it's very, very short. So take advantage of it, you know? Don't be scared like it's never going to work. No. Find a problem, be passionate about it, that you actually love to fix. Because if you're not passionate about it, you're not willing to do, you're not going to, to put the efforts to make it work, right? So you must be passionate about it. Sammy, where do you think would be the best places for people to connect with you? Maybe fellow founders seeking some advice, maybe VCs interested in uh, working with you. If, if you were to mention like one or two uh, pieces of contact, we'll be putting them in the description. but uh, like, what are the platforms you want to be uh, reached out by? 
Yeah, you can reach out to me in LinkedIn and also my email. Uh, so my LinkedIn, I think you have it, right? And uh, I can, my email as well. So these are the best ways to actually reach out to me. We'll be putting them in the description uh, of this awesome. episode. What would be the concluding thoughts uh, for this talk? How would you like to wrap up uh, our episode today? I think I think it's uh, I, I, again I, I would say to the to the entrepreneurs and founders, uh, stay resilient, uh, be passionate, have more values, build something meaningful, impactful, and uh, yeah, keep grinding. I would say and uh, check us check out our product Clue. I think you guys are gonna love it. It's a productivity tool, and uh, give us feedback. I would really really appreciate it. And anyone who give us feedback, you have one year for free. That's a uh, good uh, motivation. <laughs> Sami Buzarifa, everyone. Sami, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Thank you for having the time for, for me as well. Sass and Cyrus, we will be seeing you in the next episodes.